Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, September 14th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered, these tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. And they're available on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that they start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, and that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, and it's a tool I've been using for 19 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to help me turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. If you click the link, you can download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. And if you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. Here at MindShifters Radio, we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because... It tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing that by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1. It'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number 
I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And we appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention with this work is to be a service. And if you let us know how these things are landing for you, what's working and what's not, it's far easier for us to live into that intention. We have plenty of time for comments and questions and answers and testimonials today. I should say that uh, it's Thursday, so there will be a support group tonight. It's absolutely free to join. All the information you would need to join us is available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website. And there's a separate login page for the Thursday group information and a separate one for the Tuesday group information. So if you want to join us, join us. If you want to pass it along to somebody else that might benefit from that, we'd appreciate it. And we run from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time, and the more the merrier. Um, We also have um, a whole... um, host of things we've been talking about recently. Yesterday's show I was talking about a variety of things that have made their way into my sessions with people recently. And um, so any guidance, any tips about what's working for you, what you'd like to hear more of, are appreciated. Uh, if you're not listening live and you would like to get some feedback or ask a question, you can send me an email at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. And when we get those questions or comments from you, we'll address them on the Internet show and then as time allows, send you a notice about what day and time it was addressed on the show so you can listen back to the archives. And take advantage of getting feedback that way. I just had a session where I was working with a woman extensively about how we program our minds without even realizing it. And we the, the trigger was that she's five or six sessions into working with me, so she's had me tell her about this a number of times, and yet she started a sentence with, you know, and that really upset me. And so we took a, we took a side trip down the road of responsibility communication We took a trip down the road of regulatory speech and how if I keep saying that upset me, I'm programming my mind to actually believe that people and things outside of me cause my emotions. And as long as I keep saying that without correcting it, as long as I keep rehearsing that thought, I will believe it. Not only will I believe it, I will strengthen my belief in that thought. And that's counterproductive. That is not a useful way to direct my mind energy. 
one of the things we say in this work, and it's in the bottom line observations, is if I have a negative thought about myself or somebody else or a negative emotion active in my mind, I can instantly know three things. The first one is it's a lie or based in a falsehood. The next thing is it's an old tape playing. It is literally not about what's going on in the present moment. And the third thing is if I let myself sit and spin thinking about it, speak or act from it, I'm just going to make my life situation worse, not better. I cannot possibly improve my life situation by acting from a negative thought or a negative emotional state. So when I catch myself programming my mind to think that really upset me, that person's hurting my feelings, that person offended me, that person's making me angry, I continue to believe it at deeper and deeper levels that my emotions are being created and controlled by someone or something outside of me. And the good news is once I wake up to that process, I can intervene. I can actually start catching my thoughts and changing them by stating it more accurately. How would I state that more accurately? Well, in this case, the woman had said, you know, when my dad had this this um, paranoid thought, that really upset me. And then she said, well, how am I supposed to rewrite that? And I said, well, the simplest way is to simply say, when I heard that, this is what I made it mean, and this is how it's resonating my upset. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, for instance, when your dad said that you know he thinks that something horrible is going to happen to him, what did you make it mean? She said, well, I, I made it mean that he thinks I would hurt him. Excellent. Excellent. So instead of thinking, oh, he's in pain or fear or he's in sadness or he's in a delusional state because of some, you know, medication response, instead of attributing what he's saying to what's going on in him, you attributed what he was saying as though it meant something about you, that you didn't care about him enough to keep him safe or that you would actively hurt him. So when you throw that interpretation on it, you generate and you resonate other negative thoughts and beliefs inside of you that you've probably been carrying for decades, and that's what you experience. You don't experience an emotion because of what someone said. You experience an emotion because you choose an interpretation of that based on your past experiences and it resonates energies you have carried with you into that moment. And if you wake up and realize and practice reminding yourself that whatever comes out of a person's mouth is only, always, and forever going to tell you about what's going on inside that person. It's not going to tell you about you and the other people around that person. It's going to tell you about that person. And when you wake up and realize that, you start programming your mind differently. You start seeing the dynamics created by the interpretations you're choosing moment to moment. 
And those dynamics are always happening inside you, inside your mind-body energy system. So that's what I just spent the last hour doing in session, and that may or may not spark some thoughts for you. 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. I, um, I've had several people in my life, as I was mentioning yesterday and the day before, who are just really up against it. Life is handing them one tsunami of disruption after another, one giant wave of life events that requires them to make adjustments in their activities and in their finances and in their emotional state, one one right after another, to the point of, for several of these people, um, you know, physical exhaustion. And um, it's it's absolutely critical that we understand we are not gifted with um, unlimited energy resources. And, and the, the more we can learn to be gentle with ourselves at times like this, when life seems to be demanding um, one thing after another in an endless parade of adjustments on our part, we can benefit most by being gentle with ourselves. Breathing and softening and using all of the requisite tools, any tools that have ever helped us, whether it is breath work or goal canceling or journaling or soaking in a hot bath or taking a long walk or being willing to meditate, and understanding that things are going to keep flowing and they're going to resolve even when my assessment of the situation says it's not. I had a therapist I work with talk about how she's been amazed recently with the flood of ultra-challenging life events in her own personal life, how she's had a series of sessions with her patients that have been the best sessions she's ever had in her entire career. And she, she wanted to know, how does that happen? I mean, what's going on here? And I said, it's because we're, we're, when we're willing to be present and go through these intense emotional states in our lives and not pretend, not shut them down, not drug them out, but stay open to them and then shift the focus away from ourselves and onto somebody else who's in need. In that moment, we're, we have a greater access to that inspirational, creative flow. One of the 
daily meditations I have came across today, and it said, it's titled, Feeling Lost. And it reads, The beauty of being lost is the same thing that makes it scary. We must look within ourselves to find the way. When we are lost, we typically look at a map to figure out where we are and how to get our, to our chosen destination. This can work well, assuming there is a map of the territory in which we find ourselves and we actually know our destination. However, this is not always the case. At this time in human history, we are all venturing into uncharted territory, whether we know it or not. And as individuals, we may find ourselves covering ground that our predecessors never even knew existed. And when we look to our predecessors for guidance, they often come up short because they've never been to this destination and or they've never traveled through life wide open without drugging themselves, without raging, without blaming someone else. So in this process of not knowing exactly where we are or exactly where we're going, we find ourselves unsure of which way to go. And eventually the uneasy feeling that we are lost presents itself. The beauty of being lost is the same thing that makes it scary. It asks us to look within ourselves to find the way. If we have no map, we must go on instinct, relying on our inner compass to show us which way to go. This can be scary because so much seems to be riding on it. We fear that we might go too far in the wrong direction or we might become paralyzed and then make no progress at all. And yet, this is the very challenge we need to develop our ability to trust ourselves. We're also learning to trust that the universe will support and guide us. We may believe this intellectually, and yet it is only through experience that it becomes knowledge of the heart. Learning to be okay with being lost and trusting that we will be guided, we begin our journey. This is exactly what that therapist was talking to me about. She's feeling so overwhelmed and floundering and so helpless in so many events in her life, which are beyond her control. And then she goes into a session with somebody, and they open up and start revealing things and do more deep work and shed tears and face emotions and come out on the other side in ways that they never have before. The universe is showing up in, through, as, and around us all the time, especially when we soften and allow and surrender. This reading ends with the final paragraph. We can support ourselves by confirming that we don't know exactly where we are or exactly where we're going and take those first steps anyway. We're learning to feel our own way rather than following an established path. And in so doing, we learn to trust ourselves. And we trust that this will connect us to a universe 
that will remind us that no matter how lost we feel as we journey, on the inner level, we're already home. I don't know how this is going to work out. My conscious logical mind is not capable of sorting out all these factors and dynamics and predicting the perfect outcome, much less facilitating it happening. And yet, I can breathe and soften and focus on loving intention and take the next step. I can ask to be guided and step forward anyway. And then with practice, I can learn to trust that whatever unfolds as I ask to be shown and take the next step anyway is going to be just fine. Ultimately, eventually, etc. So our call in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, we can have a conversation. How is this sitting with you? Where have you perhaps been feeling lost in your life, in the life events that seem to be barreling toward you at breakneck speed, giving you barely enough time? What was the line from uh, the Gospel of Job that Michael likes to quote? Lord, give me enough time to swallow my spit before the next thing hits. I just need a break. And sometimes the break comes and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's just more life coming at you. And one of the things to understand when that happens is we will never figure it out. So many of the people I work with who get so stuck, they're getting stuck because they are so intellectually bright that they're relying on their intellect to come up with some perfect answer. And in so many of these life situations, there is no answer. There is no logical answer. There is no easily predictable answer. There's no way we could ever know how it's going to unfold. There's no way we could ever know how in five or ten years from now, this thing that we hate, that we're calling catastrophic, that we think is a tragic thing, is going to lead directly or indirectly to some of the best things in our lives in five or ten years, or in two or three days. But if we're stuck in resistance, if we're stuck in upset, anger, bitterness, hurt, resentment, frustration because we think we're right and the world should unfold our way, If we're stuck in that mode, we don't often see the blessings, the little miracles, the synchronicities that Jung would talk about. Because we're busy stomping around in upset, complaining that the world isn't doing what we think it should, complaining that life isn't fair, etc. And when I learn to soften and relax and allow, I start seeing more of these wonderful coincidences, synchronicities, blessings, ripple effects for the good, etc., etc.
So again, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. What's on your mind? How can we be supportive to you today? What would you like to have us do for our next 35 minutes or thereabouts? If you call that number and press 1 on your phone, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I will turn on the microphone and announce it by your area code. And in lieu of that, I will return to our readings. I have been variously moving through the book A Walk in the Physical and um, The Way of Mastery. And there, there is a um, there's a strong uh, draw in me to um, keep going with way of mastery. And if truth be told, I've had to resist starting reading it again from the beginning, and. Um, And doing it, doing it with commentary, um, and I haven't received enough feedback from people that said, "Yep, that's perfect. Let's go back through that again." So that's on the table as a potential. And um, in the question and answer section of this work, this work, uh, a walk in the physical. There's a question about judgment, and it asks, does God judge us when we die? And the answer that's given is, from the vantage point of the other side and with full access to all information, we judge ourselves. Or perhaps, to state it more appropriately, we assess ourselves. And who we are becomes clear. And we get to see exactly how we have affected others. And there is no hiding. We still have some choice as to how to use that awareness. And we have choice as to how we will respond to the energetic results or the ripples that we have sent out, if you want to use the terminology from the Way of Mastery Lesson 8, because these energetic results are now a part of us. In other words, wisdom is not automatic. Meanwhile, the source of everything, consciousness, light, love, awareness, extends love in our direction completely and unconditionally. And when that happens, we are encouraged on our long roads of expansion and deep experiences and challenging experiences even though those challenges may result from our own fearful or selfish choices and from our own imperfection. And then there are questions like, are people like Hitler loved? And the answer is that we are 100% responsible for every single thought, word, intent, and deed. We absolutely do not escape what we have been, more accurately, what we 
have acted out. And we're completely accountable for it. At the same time, we're unconditionally loved and accepted always. So these two things don't conflict, even though they seem to be a paradox. So even the soul who played the role of Hitler is completely loved and accepted. True justice is that all are healed and loved and grow together as they are completely understood and accepted. Any act on our part of wishing for harm to another, even in the name of justice, is just ego giving its ugly voice. So, usually when we have these conversations about is there judgment, is there punishment after death, it stirs things up. So feel free to raise a hand and make a comment. There's another question here that asks, do we come to Earth to get a, quote, gold star, close quotes, or something like that? I don't want to come back to this nightmare. And the answer that's given is, we do not come for a, quote, gold star, close quotes. We don't come for any kind of an accolade or a trophy or anything like that. Imagine... All the pain you've known in this nightmare is reversed and now better understood forever. Imagine that the deep chasm of suffering you've dug for yourself in this, in this lifetime now gets filled with light and joy. Imagine that all the wantings you've given birth to get fulfilled. And all the loves you've had in this life are now celebrated, unfettered, unrestrained, wide open. We are participating in an expansion of being. We are participating in an expansion in what has been experienced through all eternity and will forever be a part of us and a part of all that is. This is why Abraham Hicks says, you who are here in a physical body, you human beings, we love you so much, she'll say. They will say. You are on the cutting edge of creation. You're here experiencing things that while in some aspects are just like a lot of other things other people have experienced in other ways has never been done before. There's never been a you just the way you are in this moment. So another question is, what's the purpose of reincarnating over and over again? What's the point? What's the end game? Well, the end game is simply this, the expansion of joy and love, the expansion of beingness, that is its own reward. The soul develops as it integrates experience, and various experiences yield various opportunities, which ultimately serve that expansion of joy and love. 
The processing and overcoming of fear is the same. It's synonymous with the expansion of love. Incarnation offers opportunities of perspective, opportunities of growth, and opportunities to integrate fear and express love. Regarding an end game, the human mind, which perceives reality as being linear, tends to want to understand there's a beginning and an end. But beingness has no beginning and it creates however it so chooses, in an ever-evolving symphony of expansion and refinement. Refinement and expansion of what? Joy and love. Five six three nine 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 three five eight one. Area code 541, you're in the air. Yes, Dr. Tim, this is Linda. I only have a couple minutes to share with you that uh, what you said at the beginning of the program about our um, interpret everything is our interpretation. Um, that is coming home to roost in a, in a sweet way. I'm beginning to see more and more that what I uh, perceive in Larry is is also my own behavior or it may not even be his it might be all mine and that it all does rest on my interpretation of events and the realization in kind of a a visceral way it's like a deep way that um, my interpretation is based on my nine-bit mind and um, I'm beginning to get a real body feel for what it means when you say you can't figure this out. At the same time, I realize that my trying to figure it out has brought me to this place, to this portal, if you like, of realization, like little drops of water on a parched desert, that um, this realization that I cannot figure it out. And it's a, a body thing. It's a visceral thing. It's kind of like my head, my thinking, my heart, my fe- my emotions, yeah, feelings, and my body, my, my actions are just kind of starting and sensations are just kind of starting to line up one with the other with the other. And I just thought I'd share that. Also, that the support group was very powerful for me, and I'm just rooting for all of you and I, um, all of us, and I wanted to say that and thank you. And my feeling is that um, whatever you decide on your show is between you and spirit. It's a co-creative process, and I'm just willing to go with whatever the situation is for the show as it evolves and all of us together co-create um, this new new life for ourselves and for each other, period. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, thank you for that input. And I'm uh, recognizing you said that you have to go, so I will... Mute your microphone and send blessings and turn on the microphone for 
610 and also as I did that 828 so since we have this agreement you're both on hey. <laughs> hello Amanda. hello Dr. Kim this is Sue here hello hello um, I just have a couple of quick uh, vote, vote, vote I don't know uh, comments and then I can if it's okay Susan I'll let you go on would that be good Sure, but you know, okay. so if you want to say stuff, yeah. <clears throat> number one, I really would be very happy <clears throat> if you would start rereading from the very beginning um, and and uh, doing the uh, mastery book again, really, um, with commentary. Your commentary is so excellent, and because you have read it so many times and you know the material so well, your readings and your commentary, I think, are a lot deeper than any of us who are beginners of, of reading the way of mastery. So I would say please do that. And um, in regard to Hitler, I think of Hitler as being one of those brave souls who was willing to put on the personality that he did and do the things he did in order to um, touch a lot of us and open eyes and, and minds and hearts. And I know he is very well hated by many, many people. And even though I really dislike, of course, what he did and what he caused to be done to others. I must um, admire him. I do admire him or that soul that became him for, for the, um, the progress that it actually put forth in the world eventually. So those are my two comments, and I'll just listen unless there's something else that pops up in my mind. Is that okay? Okay. okay. My mind wants to ask right away, so have you put all of the current political leaders in that same position in your mind as you have Hitler? Yes. And it, because they're closer to what's happening with our world right now and my world, it's been a little more difficult, and I was able to get there. Had to do some worksheets over that. And, um, oh, and I also, yes, so the answer to that is yes. And then I wanted to also say, Dr. Tim, thank you so much for what you were saying yesterday on your show about the incredible gifts and tools that Michael and Jeannie Rice offer for free. I don't know that that is said often enough. I'm so glad that you made a, a big point of it. Um, and so just wanted to say thanks for that. All righty. Thank you for that. Susan? Mm-hmm. Hi. Wow, Magda, you said a bomb there with the Hitler thing. I, I know what you're saying, and I oh. I forget the woman's name who said the same thing. She said it takes an amazing 
an advanced or brave soul to agree to come to the earth and be such a heinous bad guy here because there's a purpose in that. I never tried to follow that thread all the way, although I was reminded of a dream I had about Nixon when I was very young. I mean, you know, when he was president, I wasn't that young, but in the dream, I saw him across a crowded room and he was very much, you know, reviled at the time I was having this dream and yet I thought something like I am him and he is me and I woke Mm -hmm. up realizing that I have that darkness that capacity for lying and cruelty or whatever anybody has I have that I've got the full spectrum too and so what you're saying about Hitler, I can put that in that um, into that experience and agree with you. But it's, I don't spend a lot of time trying to appreciate some of the figures <laughs> who are in the public eye right now. Mm-hmm. But um, I had a question for you, um, Dr. Tim. Years ago, um, Ken Walknick came to visit a small group of us who had formed over the Course in Miracles, which had just been published. And we had it in those three fat books. And he lived in New York, and Helen Shuckman lived in New York, and he came with her to visit us one time, a couple of times. And I said to him, what is the biggest challenge for you in your own spiritual life? And he said, weariness, exhaustion. And he wasn't sick by then. He was quite young. But oftentimes in my present life, and it's, I've been sort of diagnosed with long COVID, the fatigue that just, I mean, I have tons of energy and then suddenly I'm out of gas. And I say, I can't do another thing. Got to lie down. And that may take up the whole rest of the day. It might it usually happens in the afternoon, but weariness is it has a has an adjunct component of loss of fight, loss of willpower, almost like a kind of despair or giving up. And you know, as with so many people, I mean, five thousand people calling for help in Libya and drowning. There's no, we have no capacity to metabolize that kind of information and to think that that was happening while I was eating a bowl of cereal or I was just going along in my regular life and these people were suffering so, or struggling at least, if not suffering. What do you do with all that? So I get tired. I just get tired. And I wondered if you could say something about that, Dr. Kim. Well, the idea um, that's made so much difference in my life and and helped me with this idea of fatigue and overwhelm is I I exacerbate it, I intensify it when I struggle against life and whatever's happening. So when I say Mm -hmm. this is bad, this is wrong, this shouldn't be, I mean any kind of judgment, that's when the 
energy expenditure from me gets increased. I'm spending so much energy and I'm not getting it back. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm looking at the world from my little conscious little nine-bit mind and I think, okay, this is bad or wrong. People shouldn't be dying in floods and earthquakes and with diseases and then I'm going to get exhausted very, very quickly Mm -hmm. because people are Mm -hmm. always dying from floods and earthquakes and diseases and violence perpetrated one upon the other, et cetera. So if if I'm pushing, it's like what I was talking about a couple of years ago. I had this image of standing in the middle of the Mississippi River, looking upstream, screaming at the water to stop and go the other way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's 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 a, you know. Imagine the energy. Imagine how long I'd last, and, and if I could last at all, if I found a, a a shallow enough area of the Mississippi, how long I would last, or how productive I would be, screaming at the water that it's going the wrong way. It all needs to turn around and flow in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the kind mm-hmm. of energy expenditure we're talking about. When I look at what's unfolding in the world and I say, that's bad, that's wrong, that shouldn't be happening. Mm. Not only that, but the fact that it is happening. It isn't even a matter of saying it shouldn't be. It's the fact of it, it happening. And I'm probably just, you know, making another layer on something that you can say something about. But I don't even think there's a judgment. I'm just lying down, observing, breathing, maybe even allowing and saying, I don't get this. This is too much. So maybe right. that's but a then, judgment but right then it, it, it is, It's a judgment. You just said it. It's too much. You've judged it as too much. You've judged it as okay. bad or wrong or too much to deal with. And so, you know, <laughs> I just I remember this just yesterday I heard this thing after the um after the fires in Hawaii mm-hmm. the recent fires that wiped out yeah Lahaina or whatever it is yeah um Oprah Winfrey and the Rock decided to make a public service announcement and ask people to donate to a special fund they had created. Did you hear about that? Did you see that? No. Okay. So they did. And there was this video, and it was on Facebook and other places, just the two of them, very simple. And they created this fund so that there, that money would go directly into the bank accounts of the people who'd been devastated by these fires that lost their homes etc no middleman mm. no you know just like if you want to know that here's a safe place for your money to go got it yeah <laughs> and, and, and there was no pomp and circumstance it was no big video production they were just standing there in front of the camera and and they 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 thought about it and they put together this fund and they said if you want to know that your money is going directly here 
into the hands of the people who need it to their bank account so they can buy what they need. Right? There's none of this guessing. Do they need? Do they need toilet paper? Do they need diapers? Do they need, do they need yeah. green beans? But you let them buy their own stuff. Well, yesterday it blows up that all these people, all these trolls on the internet, are just slamming them. How dare they? Yeah. <laughs> now, now, now. The bottom line is these two celebrities. You know, one of them a millionaire, the other one a billionaire. Each of them began the fund by donating $5 million. So they create this fund that's got a seed of $10 million to go directly mm. to these people. And they set it up so these people who've been lost their homes or whatever can get like $1,200 a month as long as they need it to do whatever they need to. So... Here's this thing, and they get slammed for it. They get absolutely mm. slammed for it. So, you know, all of these things flooded into my brain. Here are these people. I'm, uh, one of my, some friends of my father used to have these the sayings of, uh, no good deed goes unpunished. Right. And that, that that came to my mind. But the other thing is, look, I don't have millions of dollars or even billions of dollars. Occasionally, when I find that someone has need and I have a few extra dollars, I donate that way. Because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm 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 not living hand to mouth, right? I'm not destitute here. And yet, mm. I don't have the ability to put five or ten million dollars in a fund. I don't have the notoriety and the recognition that is going to get five million views for a video that I put out, etc. So, does that mean that I'm helpless? Does that mean that what I do doesn't count? Does that mean that there's nothing I can do that's positive? Well, it means that if I create that thought. But it doesn't mean that unless I create that thought. So here's what I'm doing. I'm doing an Internet show five days a week. Mm. I'm doing support groups twice a week, donating my time to all of that, not requiring any money from anybody, paying to help support the production of the show and the website. Well, is that making any difference? Remember the, remember the story of the kid that was on the beach and there were like thousands of starfish that were washed up on the beach and the kid was throwing them back and the old man comes along and says, what are you doing? You can't say It's not going to make any difference. And the kid says, makes a difference to this one. (laughs) Throws it back, right? That's right. That's That's the approach. That's the approach that conserves my energy. That's the approach that, that helps fill me with or let my let me fill myself with the gratitude and the satisfaction of doing what I can where I can. Mm. And if totally I agree. start thinking about if I start thinking about oh my gosh the people that just died in this earthquake and oh my gosh the people that lost their homes from this last hurricane I'm I'm pouring my mind energy into things I have no control over and 
creating mm-hmm. a negative emotional energy experience in the moment, and then I get to live with it. Those are the ripples I'm choosing. That's what's going to yeah. resonate out for me and affect the people around me, and then I'm going to be more depressed and have less energy to do what I need to do the next day, etc. So I don't know that this is making any sense to you. All I know is that the essence that I can observe in some of the truths of these teachings is I am creating my experience of life each moment with how I choose mm-hmm. to focus my conscious awareness. And the interpretations I choose and where I choose to focus my conscious awareness literally actually creates my experience of life. And if I want an experience of life to be joyful and empowered and have energy and reserves, I can't spend that much of it on the negativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can surrender I to the moment and ask to be shown what's mine mm-hmm. to do here. Right. So this... Uh, Um, The Rock and Oprah come up with this video and they say, you know, we guarantee you that the money goes right into the hands of these people. And so I take a breath and I think, okay, is this a cause that I want to donate to? Is this something that I Mm -hmm. would send money to? And -hmm. in this particular case, I said no, right? My my, charitable contributions that I make around here, the support groups I do, the extra money that I have, I spend most of that on the local charities. There's mm-hmm. a Northern Illinois Food Bank and there's a, there's another one around here. So, And I, I took a breath and I thought, okay, what's mine to do here? Am I moved enough by this? Do I have the resources to help that would make a difference here? And I just thought, no, you know, um, there are people right here in my in my county who are not right. having enough food right. for their kids, right? Mm-hmm. I occasionally see them on the streets holding up signs and things. So I'm going to contribute there. And then I go on, and I just have gratitude that there are millionaires and billionaires like The Rock and Oprah who are conscientious enough to want to help. Is that Chris Rock? No, no, it's 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 the Rock, Dwayne Johnson, the big oh, I, heavy I muscular actor, great big muscular actor. He's been a you know professional wrestler and mm. he's uh, many many millions of dollars, lots of blockbuster movies, action movies, etc. Wow. Mm. Okay, that. I feel as if I'm doing exactly what you are doing, and it, I feel better hearing an endorsement for staying mostly local, you know, with the refugees and with my call downstairs and uh, another refugee woman to whom we've lent a car for a few weeks and we've well, given listen, her money listen, for listen her car repair. Well, listen to me. Listen to me before we run out of time. Listen to me. Okay. <laughs> I'm listening. Of all the people that I know, Right. Just please take a breath and soften and let this in. Of all the people that I know, what you specifically and you and Tim as a couple have done and are doing is 
way up there. It's literally up there with Oprah and, and Oprah's good yeah. deeds. Because it's it's like, do you remember the uh, the story of um, the giving in the in the Bible, and the guy comes in with a bag full of gold and parades up and waves the bag and puts it puts it down and he's donating this and and this one woman comes up with these two pennies and offers those and oh, yeah. and the and and, mm-hmm. and the fable is she gave more right yeah. because based on what she has. That those two pennies mm-hmm. mean she doesn't get to eat for a week or whatever, and this guy's got yeah. bags of gold to spare, so he's not he's not going home and not eating tonight. Mm. So what? in that kind of scale, what you and Tim are doing, your own personal work, your work with your grandsons, your work with the refugees, is on a scale in comparison to the finest people that I know. Thank and you if, you can't, if you can't generate satisfaction within yourself from that, there's your work. Right, right and you there. help me realize I've got another, another thing that's no time to... But my son has been very depressed, and somehow I don't have a very good handle when it gets that close to home the feeling of helplessness. And so I realized that's where I need to start doing the worksheets is allowing God to take over for that man and just allowing that he is having his life a la Sunberg. He's going through what he needs to go through and I don't have any agency there except to hold the loving space. When you said all that, I thought, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I do all that stuff, but Somehow my son popped right up into my face, and there's the work. Thanks for saying that, though. That was very nice of you. It is not nice. How tall are you? <laughs> how tall are you? Yes, it is. Tell me, tell me how tall you are. <laughs> what? How tall are you? Five foot Susan two? Bingham, how tall five are you? Four. Five, five, five four. two. Five right, two. So five two. Susan, you're five yes. feet two inches tall. You say, "Oh, yes. thank you. That's so nice of you to say." Is that what you're doing when I when I give you a description <laughs> of yourself? That's an accurate description. No. No. Okay, I get it's, it. It's it's not a compliment. It's an observation. Mm. And when you mm. make that observation, if you can't use it to generate gratitude, contentment, joy in your own mind in that moment. There's your work. If you spin the kaleidoscopic wheel of interpretation toward yourself and your own life and you come up negative, Guy Finley's got a whole set of wonderful talks about this. How does it make any sense? You're the one measuring. You measure yourself and you come up short. How does that make any sense? How could it possibly be? So if you measure yourself and you say, oh, I'm lacking, there's your work. Do the worksheets to dismantle the negative judgments against yourself. That's the core yes. of this work. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I want to just jump in and say, when you said it was a nice thing for Dr. Tim to say, my brain went, no, it's true. It's not nice, it's true. <laughs> so, well, he didn't have to say it, though. No. 
Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> if we're going to make progress in this, we have to help ourselves see things more accurately. We have to remember what these bottom line observations say. One of them says if I have a negative thought about myself or somebody else or a negative emotion active in my mind, I can instantly know it's a lie, it's false. So how do I make progress if I can't see things clearly? I can't. So blessings to both of you. Thank you for the comments and questions. I did find the uh, uh, email that Jeannie had sent, and so the show that she wanted me to play yesterday is called Similarities to AA Programs. It's 56 minutes. There's plenty of time for that. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. There will be a support group tonight. MindShiftersAcademy.org is the website where you find out how to join us for free. Blessings. We've been doing all this week with Gail and looking at uh, abuse programs such as Alcoholics Anonymous and, and the correlation with that and the forgiveness work, and she's with us again today. We're excited to, to continue with this conversation, to, and we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. We're honored that you're here to join us for our conversation about this awesome ancient technology of healing. Uh, one of the things I appreciated that Gail shared with us on Monday is that uh, the root of the 12th step program initially came out of a thing called the Oxford Group, which was a group practicing what was understood then to be first century Christianity, not not today's, uh, what should I say, stories that passes the original teachings, but actually going back more to the first century and what was actually, for those who heard the words of Yeshua, had the tools of Yeshua, what it took to work through the issues that tend to run people's lives. And, you know, one of the, uh, the things we return to often is the recognition that perception, which is what informs us to do certain behaviors, is all based in calculations and computations made by the mind. We've been taught that we're looking through a set of windows on the world and we see what's happening out there. And that teaching is an absolute, total, complete, 100% proven scientific fraud. It's just not true. Once you recognize that, then you realize that your mind is always computing based on its content and constructing the world that you see. In fact, there's a CIA website where they have a study of perception. And quote from the CIA and their research on perception, we do not record what is happening in the world. We construct the world that we see. So recognizing that we construct the world that we see, then you realize that the world you see, that you live in, though we think through our windows we're looking at the same thing, it's not true. We can be standing ostensibly looking at the same world, but the computation your mind makes based on your thousand generations of data produces a totally different perceptual world than that which my mind computes 
based on a thousand generation of data generations pardon me of data recognizing that the idea is to bring the perceptual system into the greatest harmony it can have with truth and what we're speaking of what we've been talking about all week is the anonymous systems that have developed over the years to assist people in changing the computations made out of each individual's, we could say, multi-generational database, that thousand generations of data. What we know is that if fear or hostility enter into the process, it's been signaled that your computation is incorrect and will not serve your highest and best possibilities. It's a signal that it's time to deconstruct the result of your computations. And deconstructing the result of a perceptual computation made by your mind is called forgiveness. What the Greek culture has taught us is that forgiveness is about letting ourselves or somebody else off the hook for something that we have or have not done. When that has nothing whatsoever to do with forgiveness, Forgiveness is a tool for removing that which is in your mind that is at the root of your pain, for accessing and relieving yourself of the root of that pain. So the deconstruction process, the removal process, is called forgiveness. And as you enter into the, the process of forgiveness, you become freed from literally the capacity for hostility or fear. There are many systems that have been developed over the eons for teaching people to do that. One that has proven very powerful for those in the most dire of circumstances are the 12-step programs. And again, the root of that goes back to the first century language of Yeshua and the work that we're doing. And, and I'm, I was so delighted when I heard that um, from you, Gail, the, the root of the 12-step program, that's not something that I had heard before, because it's right back to here's how the game of life works and here's how to remove yourself from pain, how to release yourself from what's at the root of all pain. And when you do that, you correct the error at the root of the mind's output so the output improves, and that in, increases the possibility that the end result, perception, will serve your highest and best as a human being. All realities, all perception is based on generations of such computations. And so recognizing that the possibility for the introduction to, of, of error is endless. There's an infallible signal that will tell you your perception. Therefore, your mind is in error and needs repair. And that is if it produces hostility or fear. So it's in our best interest to deconstruct, that is, forgive as often as necessary until we arrive at flawless perception, a perception that sparkles with the active presence of love continuously. No matter what's happening in your world, people will say, well, that made me sad, that made me mad, that made me angry, that hurt me. That's all a lie. If I have hurt in my system, now, Somebody comes up and punches me in the nose, cancel the thought, that's a little different situation. But short of somebody coming up and punching you in the nose, all hurt, all pain, all trauma is something that comes from that multi-generational database and mixed activity. When you correct 
the perceptual system. There's a word rachma in Aramaic. That was the word that was used to, to describe what was required to achieve what was called the first law. And it was have not love for the God neighbor and, as self, but rather maintain this condition of love in your mind, this condition of rachma in your mind, so that your perception sparkles with the presence of love even in events that someone would say are very painful events. Once you get to the point where you can do that, then you know you are well along in your process of healing. We mentioned Jonas Salk yesterday, and one of the uh, quotes that I love from Jonas Salk is, he said, and of course he's the inventor of the Salk vaccine, he says, our greatest responsibility is to be good ancestors. How do you be a good ancestor? You do the work of cleaning up your perceptual system so that the one that you pass on to the next generation is clean, it's clear, it's going to give that next generation the best possible chance of really truly living as a human life. And when you think about it, it, you know, who makes the great breakthroughs in this world of human endeavor? It's those whose computations that create reality, the output of the mind, are based in truth and love. The rest are mired in insanity. Loveless minds based in hostility or fear. And healing looks like the removal, the forgiveness of what never belonged. So that's what we're here to support. And uh, let's say hello to Gail. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate the input you're giving to us. I was talking to another gentleman who uh, has been doing the work for quite some time now and uh, shared with him uh, what was happening. And he wasn't able to be in the um, involved in the shows earlier in the week. He was involved in some meetings. But uh, last night about 1130, he, he – uh, having been in AA programs for 20 years or more, he texted me and said he was listening to the uh, second hour and he just was in love with what was happening in the show. So so oh, lots of folks are really responding to that. And welcome. Glad that you're here once again. Great. Well, I, I am very grateful to be a part of all of this and to to be invited to contribute the pieces of the puzzle that I have to offer. So that's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Honored. Um, yeah, same here. And that was a great lead. Um, that's what we call, like, when somebody speaks for the first, you know, 10, 15 minutes in a meeting, um, we call those a lead. <laughs> so that was a great lead, um, which what, it ties in perfectly, perfectly with what I was going to bring today. And that was to start looking at what the inventory process and 12-step programs look like versus what it looks like on the sheet. And we've all agreed so far that the sheet, the, the wake-up sheet is an inventory in itself, um, but there is also an inventory within the inventory on the wake-up sheet that is similar to what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'd like to point Great. out Tell us about also... It. Oh, what you say? I'm sorry. I was just saying, great. Tell us about it. Okay, gotcha. Um, one of the things that I do want to point out is that the way I was taught to do the, the inventory process comes out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Other 12-step groups have different ways of doing their inventory, and I want to acknowledge that as well. 
um, how I've been taught how to do the inventory process is that it's a it's a 14 step or 14 column process and what is addressed in in the inventory process is in uh resentments uh fear sex conduct and harms done to others and so there's four sheets with that or and also there's a written exercise for the sex inventory uh inventory part and i was just going to start with the resentment part there's four four columns that we do and we do it by column we go down instead of going across and in the in the first column we write down the name of the people that we have resentments against and so we write down that list and we do a lot of prayer before that you know ask god or to reveal to us who we need to write down what we need to look at in the second column we write down why we're angry at them um so what I usually have people do is I have them write down a list on a separate piece of paper, and then when we get to the sheets, um, have them write down the name and then what they did so they have enough room, and then write down the next name after they're done with writing down what they did. Um, and then the next column, what we look at is um, what part of self was threatened, and there's seven, seven different parts of self. And that is uh, self-esteem, which is what we think of ourselves. Pride, and that's what we think other people think about us. Emotional security, pocketbook, which would be our finances or material. Ambitions, and that would be our ambitions are where we think we should be in different societies or family systems or in school or at our job personal relations and sex relations. And the thinking here is that if we are God-centered or as as we say in the Aramaic system um if we're able to express ourselves as being as being love, then what other people do outside of us does not affect us. And so the premise here too is that if we're God-centered we're not going to be affected by what other people do. But if we're self-centered we need to examine how we've allowed ourselves to be affected by by examining those seven seven things. And then in the fourth column, we start to turn this back on ourselves and um, to examine what our thinking is and to start to examine how we might have set different such situations in motion. So we're starting to go inside instead of projecting out there what they did to me or um and how I've been affected by what they did um it it's now we we ask ourselves five questions and then we start to write about how we set this in motion and the and the five questions are where was i dishonest selfish self-seeking frightened and inconsiderate and that that tells me here goals you know what goals did i have for you and um and then after we ask those questions about different situations then we're able to look at ourselves and to see where we we were at fault or to blame or to to start take responsibility for our own thinking and how we put ourselves or manifested that situation 
And I'm going to give an example of what this might look like. And I do the same thing that you do as well, how you have the same example for Sally and how she's angry at her boss. Um, I have the same example as well. And I was thrilled that you do that because I, when I'm, you know, uh, showing or I I don't want to say teaching, but teaching or, or demonstrating how to work the steps, um, I use the same example as well. So anyway, the example that I use every single time that I present this piece is, of course, um, the father of my children, my ex, so to speak. I'm not supposed to call him the ex anymore, but um, his, his name is Kyle, and so I put his name in the first thing. Um, what he did, he cheated on me. He was very abusive. He never got sober in our relationship, and, and the list goes on. Um, how, what did he affect? He affected everything. Um, he affected self-esteem, pride, emotional security, pocketbook, uh, ambitions, personal relations, and sex relations for sure. And then when I started to turn this back on me, where was I dishonest, selfish, self-seeking, frightened, and inconsiderate? I could say I was dishonest be, with him because I wasn't able to be me with him. And so that was one way of being dishonest with him. Um, the way that I was selfish with him is that I did not acknowledge his disease as um, as, as being a disease. I was selfish because I wanted his 100% attention and if he couldn't give it to me the way that I wanted it, then I would cheat on him. I would seek that attention um, someplace else. So that was how I was selfish is in that way. Self-seeking is still wanting all of his attention. I was very addicted to the father of my children and was very much addicted to his the attention that he gave me when he gave it to me in a certain way. And so I was constantly seeking that or trying to get that from him because I wasn't comfortable or had, uh, had how did you say that the other day, had pain that I was trying to reconcile through, through our relationship and, and being addicted to him. Frightened, I was constantly frightened in that relationship, but... The, the primary fear that I entered that relationship in was I, I didn't feel like I could be me. I felt like I had to be somebody else. So he was in a relationship with the false me, you know, with the real Gail, please, please stand up. And and um, I was frightened in all relationships to be the real authentic self because of fear of rejection. What if you really do reject the real me? And then inconsiderate, I, I was totally completely inconsiderate of his needs. And the primary thing for me is that I wanted to save him and and thinking that if I saved him, that he would save me. So and, and save him back, him or he'd be so much in love with me that he would not leave. And, and what would saving him look like, having him behave the way you wanted him to behave? Exactly. Me, it's, he would get clean. He would get sober. He would be this perfect guy. And yeah, exactly. So it was my agenda well, on saving well, him. Yeah, of course, the perfect guy would be the guy who does what I want him to do, not necessarily anything to do with him, because 
in the same way you're talking about I wasn't allowed to be me, notice that I could not allow him to be him. He had to be the perfect guy. And, and I think that that happens so commonly in relationship as a result of our power person experience that at a very, very early age, we learn that who we are is not acceptable. And therefore, we try to do an assessment in each situation of who does this person need for me to be in order to, quote, unquote, love me, which actually means approve of me. And the lengths that people will go to to be approved of are just amazing. And so, so we give up the true self. And then, of course, having given up the true self long before we met the person we're cur- currently in relationship with, in the, in the non-being state of mind, there's always a desire to blame that person for the fact that I'm still doing what I learned to do probably by the time I was four. And, and when we speak about, you know, somebody hurting us or making us angry or whatever, you know, nobody's ever made it hurt any. Again, short of punching somebody in the nose, nobody's ever hurt anybody or made anybody angry. But if there's anger in there, certainly there's going to be a whole parade of people who can bring it up. And when I move out of the blame game and and into taking responsibility, that's when I can start to go, oh, this is mine. I'm going to pull this one out and throw it away from by the root rather than let them off the hook for the fact that it's in there inside of me. And and the fact that we we list everybody's names that we have, I I most definitely, when I do – when I did my first inventory, I was able to see with the aid of a sponsor when I did my fist up, was able to see the pattern. And was able to trace that back to my father. Um, definitely the need to, having been abandoned by my father at the age of five with a divorce and um, him being a Vietnam vet and being able to get his needs met through my mother, what he thought he needed to have his needs met and being told that your father wouldn't have left if you were a boy, et cetera, et cetera. I did get to the place where I felt like I needed to save both of my parents in order to change them so they would be better parents and meet my needs. So that, that is most definitely a cycle of behavior that I um, was able to look at by doing this inventory and also doing a, um, doing the fist up and talking to a sponsor who was able to identify the, the cycle or the pattern as well. So just to give an example of, go ahead. I was just going to say it's interesting how deeply we can fool ourselves and why it's so important to have a sponsor or have someone who will guide us through the process because the inherent nature of what we call in in this work, of course, the non-being mind is blockage of truth. And everybody's got a story for everything that happens in the world and their story is usually about somebody else or about themselves, and and not in a responsible way, but rather in a blaming way. And so having someone outside of yourself who can flip back to you your words, your thoughts, your behaviors, your patterns is such a big and important step in the process because that block of the truth is just so deeply ingrained in each mind and to move out of, you know, as we said yesterday, the Oxford group and worked with the book of James and James so clearly says, you've got to stop your denial. I mean, there's the root of the whole recovery program is stop your denial. There's the root of the forgiveness process. As long as I'm 
And our definition of denial is when I think or speak as though something outside of me is causing something to happen inside of me, I'm in denial. And the part of me that now I need to contact and heal, I've dissociated from. And all this work is about recovering, recapturing the dissociated parts of the mind and bringing them to love for healing. Agreed. Agreed, cool. agreed. Go for it. Um, the next pro- the next part of the the um of the inventory process is looking at our fears. And we write down our fears in one column and then in the second column we write down um we write down the the same thing. How it has relying self reliance instead of, of God reliance allowed me to have these areas of my life affected and same thing looking at self-esteem pride emotional security pocketbook ambitions personal relations and sex relations and then the the third column with the fear is to examine what it might have looked like if i would have been more god-centered and um for instance my one of my fears that i wrote down is um well uh, i um is going to the store i don't like going to the store and the big part of me going to the store is being in crowds and not um being able to concentrate the, the attention deficit disorder just having so many different stimuli and and distractions that i'm I have a difficult time concentrating on what I need to buy and how much I can spend, and so I don't like going. And so I, I write that down, going to the store, what does it affect? And then I examine if instead of using my survival skills in order to go to the store, if I become more God-centered and, and start to rely on God to go, to go to the store, what would that look like? And And to start to really address the fear, look at it instead of reacting to it. So that is the purpose of Killer Sheet or that particular area of the inventory that we look at. We also look at the inventory, um, we also look at fear in the resentment part too, you know, where it asks where were we frightened. And when I did my first inventory, I saw fear all over every single name that I wrote down. There was fear involved in every single place. Um, it also talks about in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it talks about fear being um, oh, an all-encompassing all thread that, that, oh, I'm not even quoting it right, but it, it reaches every part of our existence. It touches everything. And, and I was well, able to finally... Me as an alcoholic that would be willing to jump on a bar stool and start dancing or get into the first fight I could get into, I did not think that I was, I didn't think that I had any fear. And this was very enlightening. Um, the second inventory I did with a sponsor at two years of sobriety, I think Protein 3, um, very much pointed out my fear. And one of my biggest fears besides going to the store was fear of being alone. And that that fear of being alone and not being able to face myself or be comfortable enough to be alone with myself, always needing that distraction, um, was very enlightening 
for me, and that enabled me to get out of that 16-year extremely abusive revolving door relationship that I was in because my fear of being alone outweighed my fear of getting beat up or what other things were going on in that relationship. That's quite a a catch-22. I have a fear of being with people, and I have a fear of being alone. Maybe, maybe the truth is, maybe the truth is, I don't have a fear of anything. I just have fear. That's why it's all pervasive, because the fear literally is the filter that we look through. It isn't something we have about this person or that one or that one. It's just a filter that we look through. And I think oftentimes the reason for what's called attention deficit disorder has nothing to do with the disorder, has nothing to do with an error in the brain. It has to do with one who came up in such a threatening environment that in order to feel the least bit safe, they had to be continuously on guard and observing the environment because they didn't know when they were going to be blindsided. And so when one comes to the point of trust, when one will move into trust, that there is a an energy field in which we live, move, and have our being, and we can listen to that and trust, then we're going to be informed if there's something to be aware of, and we're going to be informed as to exactly what behavior will have us survive optimally if we can listen to that rather than the mind, which is constantly looking, darting from place to place to place in order to try to assuage its fear going to the root of the fear and removing it and no longer looking through that filter opens a whole different space in us. So a powerful way to uh, to approach it to come from that inventory. I'd never heard that detailed an aspect of the inventory. That's powerful. That's why I wanted to, it, you know, that's why I wanted to present it because a lot of people have a lot of misnomers uh, and you've said that yourself of AA, of the steps, of the AA history, where it comes from and and also there's a lot of misconceptions about the inventory process as well. And, and, and right, inside well, carry on. Tell AA us more. itself, the, ne- the next thing that we look at is fear. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sex conduct. And because you take self-centered fear and you combine sex conduct with that, and that is most definitely a recipe for disaster. For me, this is the, the, the worst way that I could hurt somebody else and hurt myself as well. And um, once again, we write down, and th- this takes a, a little bit different of a turn, this isn't so much about what they did to me in, in a relationship or a sexual context. It, this is what I did to them. And um, so we write down who did we hurt and then um, and what we did to them. And a lot of the questions for here is did, did we provoke jealousy? Did, were, did we remain faithful? Um, and so the next thing is, that we'd write down is, you know, whom did we hurt? How did we hurt them? And then what did it affect it again? What part of self? Why why were we justifying doing what we did in, in this arena? And once again, the, the same questions of what was affected as self-esteem, pride, you know, emotional security, pocketbook, ambition, personal relations, and sex, sex relations. And then... Um, there are, I'm going to back up for a second, every step has a prayer and a promise. And what I mean by that is 
that um, there's a prayer to proceed and, and there's also um, promises that after we do this, that this is what we're going to receive after we do this. And there is a third step prayer that we do, and there are also five fifth, or four step prayers. Um, there is the resentment prayer, which asks us to um, keep us from being angry, help us to see that the other person is sick as well. There's a fear prayer that asks, God to um, remove our fear so we can be who you need us to be. And there's three sex prayers. And um, prayers is that we ask God to mold our ideals and to help us live up to them. We ask God in meditation what we should do in each specific matter. And we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. And so... We examine um, in, in the sex, sex part of the inventory, we look at what we did to them and look, look inside of us, to, and, and I start to see a pattern of if I couldn't get the kind of attention the way that I wanted the attention, then it was I would move on to the next person. And thinking that, you know, even though it was the next person, it's obviously a change in effects. It's not looking at myself and my thinking and addressing my my beliefs and what's inside of me. It's just trying to get a void filled by somebody else or a chemical. Or So that was very enlightening as well to see that pattern in, in all my relationships, starting from my very first crush in the third grade. And and my expectations of him and how I behaved and up on to um, adulthood, looking at at those behaviors and those expectations and and those goals that I had for them. I think that um, a, a good corollary to that that comes from this work on our healing through relationships and codependence work is to recognize that the real purpose of relationship. The real purpose of the body is to incarnate as love, and the real purpose of relationship is to learn to function as love and hold a space of love in interaction with another person. And that moving on to the next person pretends to be easy in terms of, oh, well, if this one isn't, you know, just doing what I want them to do and they're not perfect which, of course, is a reflection of my own imperfection, I go on and find somebody else who will be perfect, and, of course, they won't be, and the next one won't, and the next one won't, because I'm not. And the, the power of really being in fully committed relationship is that you have to go to depth in yourself and be looking at, and if you're doing your work in the context of the relationship, then the integrity of that, single committed relationship that supports you in going to depth inside of yourself and working with the reflections that come within the context of relationship, the things that surface in the context of relationship, and the depth of intimacy that comes from not flitting the mind from one place to another, one relationship to another, to another, to another, which is simply the avoidance of going to depth in self. So it's uh, again sounds like it really perfectly uh, complements exactly what we've developed in the uh, codependence works. Perfect. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And agreed. Uh, the next, the next part for the sex conduct or the looking at our sex conduct is that we write a list on a separate piece of paper about what we want. You know, we ask God to mold our ideals and, and to live up with the, to them. And so we write down our ideals about what we want in a relationship. And if we write down honesty, I was kind of tricked into this. My first, my first sponsor had me do this and, um, I write all these things down that I want, and, you know, I want honesty, I want loyalty, I want somebody that is trustworthy, I want somebody that I can laugh and have fun with, and um want somebody that works the steps and is in the program and is committed to their recovery. And and as soon as I wrote those all down and and shared them with her, she's like, well, you have to be these two. It's like, damn. <laughs> Um, exactly. It was like if, if you want this, you have to be this. You have to do this as well. well and the truth is, the truth. Is that bringing something up for you? <laughs> yeah, I'm coughing. <laughs> the truth is, the only place you can get it is inside yourself. Nobody else can get Absolutely. it to you. Someone else can support you in having it inside yourself. And as you give it as a gift, you get to receive it. And as they give it as a gift, they get to receive it. And that's the power of working yeah. in relationship. It's so awesome. Yeah, it is. I loved it. At first it was like, ah. Uh, and then I was like, okay, you know, I get this. So if I want it, I need to do it. Great. And um, this was an exercise that I brought forth when I was a substance abuse counselor in the prison. Um, I did this with the guys as well. <laughs> and it was great. It was great. Um, for them to start to examine that for themselves. Um, the the last part that we do in the inventory process is that we look at harms done to others. And this is people or places or things that we don't have a resentment attached to, we don't necessarily have a fear attached to, and we don't have sexual contact. None of that. It's just random acts of harm that we might have just done either in an inebriated state or in a very selfish state of mind that would be like, you know, bit, you know, bitching out the um, the Walmart checker because she just wasn't going fast enough and, um, or running down somebody that's trying to cross the street or just being very, you know, flipping off somebody at a four-way stop or just that kind of, you know, being inconsiderate and being extremely selfish and it being all about me and acting out to those people um, because guilt, shame, and remorse also blocks us off from God. So being able to list those people that we have harmed that we don't have the other things attached to is helpful as well. And Another way, uh, another way to say that, in the, from the context of the why is this happening to me again work, would be I need to start to look at all the places in my life where I have given up my human life in mm. order to behave in a way other than human. And that, that becomes the reflection that shows me in order to flip somebody off of the four-way, I had to give up love in myself. Why would I do that to myself? Well, you know, I don't deserve it. I don't have it. I'll, I've never had it. I can never be it. You know, whatever that whole story is about. And then 
once again, of course, back to the forgiveness process, the reality management wake-up sheet, to start to remove the dynamics that take me out of the presence of love. So that inventory, too, is, is, is another very powerful reflection. Agreed. So we'll, we'll go on to step five. Five go is we admitted to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Wait, did I say that all? We admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being. And what I see in the in the wake-up sheet, um, the forming of the goal for me and the canceling of the goal for me would be uh, similar for me in the fourth column of the four-step looking, starting to examine that, starting to examine the goals that I have for other people and starting to canceling those goals for other people I see as, as that being the interwoven part of, of the fourth step. And and the fourth step being, I don't think I've said it out loud, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And that means by looking up all the words is that we are on a fact-finding and fact-facing proposition or mission. We're just looking at the facts of, of our behavior and, and our thinking. And so um, to get down to the fifth step, is um, it? They talk about in the big book. Basically, just go find anybody um, to talk about this with. Um, now they're saying it's better to do it with a sponsor, so a sponsor could get to know you. And it, it is most definitely a skill set to listen to a fifth step instead of allowing somebody to get into the what they did to me. It's it's a time to get the mirror out and have them look in the mirror. And I was thrilled with your talk about mirrors as well, you know, you, the timing of being John the Baptist, to either put the mirror up there or to duck. Um, it, we use mirrors as well, and the sponsor is a perfect person if they have the skill set to get that, that mirror up there and to gently point out our character defects and how we've set our circumstances in motion that have put us in the position that we've put ourselves in to be hurt. And um, there's three parts to that, talking to God, talking to ourselves, admitting to God, admitting to ourselves, and to another human being. I see the admittance to God and admittance to self in this, I invite in Ruka Dakucha to incline me towards healing and, and what happens in 5B to be a part of that fifth step because it's most definitely we're inviting in Ruka to show us these things or admitting to her to have them removed, but also we're, we're talking to ourselves as well. And then in the, when, we, when I process with you or I process with Jeannie or if I'm at an intensive and we're in the back room with me and Susan are in the back room processing, <laughs> that that's when we talk to another human being um, about what we've discovered in doing the wake up sheet. So, I think- so those are my thoughts there. Perfect. I think that also one of the reasons for having, and I would assume this probably would tie in more with the idea of a sponsor, of the person you're going to share this with is someone who is capable of being the space of active present love, can shine that active presence of love into uh, the mind so that I can see deeper in my mind and what I access in the presence of that love begins to heal. I, I don't need to be sharing my deepest, bearing my deepest soul secrets to somebody who's going to go puke it around the neighborhood 
and or Absolutely. is going to throw it back in my face in a way that uh, that doesn't support healing. So that's powerful. And I, I just realized that I got a text from Jeannie saying that Magda had her hand up. Let's check and see if Magda okay, still has her great. hand up or she's got a thought for us. Yes. Magda? Magda, you're on. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hey there, young lady. Um, I do have a question for you. Uh, yesterday you were talking a little bit about responsibility communication, and I know you said you're going to go into that a little bit more on Monday. However, I have a question for you today because I'm going to be working with Scott in a little while on playing, doing some role-playing with responsibility communication. And I realize that I need more clarification for step number four, if you would be willing to depart from the conversation you're having now and, and explain that quickly, and then I'll get off the line and let you go back to, to what you're doing. Do you have a specific refinement, a specific question about it, uh, Magda? Yes, yes. Yeah, um, I thought that I've heard you recently say when you've explained this to new people that in number four when you say what I want, that mm -hmm. in some way that could be a request, like what I want from you other than support is to do this or that or that. And, and no. that not being problem solving, I don't, not about I need you to change this way, uh, but I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit more confused than I thought I was Okay. Excuse what? the uh, siren going by. I'm sitting outside okay. the car. But the, step four there, the request is, is always related to the support I'm looking for, the input I'm looking for for healing. So it's not a request I'm going to make of you that you do something or don't do something. It would always be, you know, I've, I've laid out a scenario I've, I've acknowledged that I have a, a problem, I have an issue that I'd like support and healing. And, and then in step four is, do you have any ideas that will support me in my healing process? That's the strict uh, meaning of that step. It's, it doesn't go outside of that realm. What, you know, it might be, you know, your suggestion might be let's do a worksheet together, let's breathe, let's do the commitment, let's do, uh, you know, a codependent sheet, let's... So that Michael, would be what that one's about. I think about. that's number yes, five. Do you have any ideas with number five? Okay, I understood you to say that what what you're asking for. Number five. I don't have the sheet in front of me, yeah, but you, that's why I was asking number five. Maybe that's what I need to ask. Because in number five it says, do you have any ideas? Right. And so I'm, I guess I'm not sure what number four is. Is it to set the person up for number five? But I want your support in helping me to heal this. And, and then number five, do you have any ideas? Well, I, I, I'm not sure where you're going with the, the question was that you were asking something of them. That's why I was asking for clarification. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I thought that recently, um, sometime during the summer, I heard you referring to step four, what I want, and that that is where you could request something of the other person, oh. and that was the first time I heard it. So did I miss, okay. miss what here? I, yeah. What I want is support in my healing. So in, in that step, okay. I'm being really clear 
that my request, as opposed to I want you to change or something external needs to change. That step is about clarifying my issue and then asking for support in healing that issue and being really clear. The only way, place to go for uh, a request in that is the request for support in my healing process. And then okay. in okay. step five would be the specific of what might that look like, the worksheet or what have you. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, fine. Well, then I don't, I, I heard the wrong thing or I, whatever. So thank, thank you very okay. much for the clarification. <laughs> all right, thank you so much. Cool. You guys all have all a right. wonderful weekend and um, and continue with your. Oh, this is the last day, isn't it? It's been a, it's been a great week for the the uh, subject and topic that you've been talking about. So continue. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, right. I hear your voice, Magda. You. you too. <laughs> yeah, you're doing a great job. Take care, dude. I miss you. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're welcome, and thank you. <laughs> All right, blessings. And, you know, it, it ties, that whole question ties right in with exactly what we're talking about with the inventory because I'm really sitting in front of a sponsor asking them to reflect to me what they see that, is my work so that I can get clear on what I'm in blocks to truth about and what I need to clean up inside of me. So, you know, in the, in the context of the uh, communication, did you hear what I think I said uh, workshop, what we point out is that oftentimes all that people are interested in is problem solving. You know, uh, gee, you came home, you frightened me, I'm scared, it's your fault. How about if you never come home like that again? I'm going to solve that problem. Where the clarity (laughs) is to shift out of I'm going to solve the problem that you caused by coming home that way, the clarity is I want to step into my healing. So I realize that you came home a certain way and maybe I could point out and prove to you that it's inappropriate, but that's beside the point. The truth is I would interfere. So what I'm looking to do is to to understand the root of my fear and to heal the root of my fear. And so what I'm asking for in that step is always, in the focal point being always looking for support in my healing process as opposed to the change that I think will make it all go away and then I won't have to deal with it. Absolutely. So it fits very well with this uh, right here at this at this juncture with the uh, the inventory and and having that person in front of me that can really truly having done their work hold the space for me to go through that piece of my work. It's pretty awesome. And, and they share or and I share when I listen to fist steps. I share my experience as well. I don't become an expert on this. You know, I I share my experience because. We have the same experiences and how how that went and and what I what I did in order to you know make that better for myself. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the confidentiality is most definitely very 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 important. Um, yes. This is a, this is a very all the steps are very sacred, but this is a very sacred um, step to maintain that confidence of somebody else's and. Um, you know, basically die with that information. To me also, one of the, uh, one of the, uh, the things that really 
make someone highly skilled at listening to that fifth step is the ability to really listen to people's words and reflect those words back to them. If we know how to listen, people will always tell us exactly what the core problem is. We don't have to figure it out. We just need to listen to their words. It's encoded in those words. And if we know how to listen and reflect those back, if someone's in the denial process in the middle of it, you know, and they say, well, and this person was just so snotty and no, no, no. It's like, okay, so let's go back to now. When have you been snotty? Tell me, tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> and just, you know, bingo, there it is. There it is. Yes, yes. And Absolutely. that goes back to the first century. You go back to uh, Romans where they say, beware you who judge another or that in which you judge another. You have been guilty of practicing. Absolutely. How could they say that? Because you've got to have the brain cells before you can see it. You know, as it's said popularly, I think, in the 12-step programs, if you spot it, you got it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, can't see it absolutely. without the brain cells. It's a bummer, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bummer. It can be a bummer, but it, it could also be what sets us free by seeing it and acknowledging it. Yeah, the good, the good news and the bad news. <laughs> you got it, but you could get rid of it. But anyway. Yeah, there you um, go. <laughs> we continue on to six and seven. Um, that Let's that is pretty quick. Uh, is um, and I just want to point out that six and seven and eight and nine are coupling steps. Six and seven go together. Eight and nine go together. And six and seven would be. And I wanted to say it perfectly, but I don't have my page open. Um, is that we in step six? We are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And then step seven is we humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. And um, the reason why I call them um, uh, coupling steps is in, in step six, we become willing. And in step seven, we do. Same thing for eight and nine. And eight, we become willing to make amends to them all. And then step nine, we make amends. And the words character defects and shortcomings, a lot of people didn't know what these were. And I was listening for the longest time. Um, I, I was listening to it, Joe and Turley, who are circuit speakers for Alcoholics Anonymous. They said that they didn't know what they meant either. And then they finally went back to a relative of the lady that Bill Wilson was doing dictation to to write the manuscript for the big book. And she said that they're errors in thought. They're thinking errors. Uh, one of the little quirks that Bill Wilson had is that he took a night course after he um, he fought in World War One, and he came home, a, obviously a veteran, at a very young age, and he started to go to night school. And he, when he went to night school and took his English class or his composition class, his teacher told him that he was an idiot because he was he repeated too many words. So what he does in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and a lot of people um, curse him, is that he uses all different kind of words. He most definitely got his thesaurus out and changed all the words up. And so basically character defects and shortcomings are the same. Um, and and that their their thoughts and error are errors errors in thought and and we ask God to remove these because we can't work on them. Um, if we start to work on them, then it's basically ego or 
working on ego or self working on self or what um, Albert Einstein says that the mind that caused the problem can't solve it. It would be working on our character defects is is trying to maintain that same mind. So asking them to have them removed is what we do in six and seven. Um, become willing and then do it. And there is a prayer. There is a question in step six, and the question in step six is, are we ready to let go of what we have found is objectionable? So we see our character defects in the fourth column in the resentment part of the fourth step. We talk about them in, in step five, and then then we become get to the place we ask ourselves, are, are we ready to let go of these? And I usually, I ask myself this every day, am I ready to let go of everything that I find that is objectionable? And it's a, usually a resounding hell yeah. The only thing that I want to hang on to is my sarcasm. I like it. <laughs> but the, rest of, the rest of the character defects, um, I am willing to let go so, of. And then there. So let me, let, me, let me throw a thought in here. Okay. I'd offer the reason why so many people utilize sarcasm is because it's one of the most powerful non-substance drugs that there is. Sarcasm is our culture's socially acceptable way of expressing otherwise unexpressible rage. And rage is the deepest level of hostility as a drug that there is. So when one can come up with that cutting remark, it's very much tied to a deep sense of rage that, as it, sh- as it shows up in the structure chemically, is a very powerful anesthetic. And the clock just told me that we're down to about 60 seconds, so okay. maybe we can hold that thought.